All right, opening your Bibles this afternoon. That sounds odd to say, doesn't it? This afternoon to Luke chapter number 18. I want to take just a few moments of your time preach to you on the topic of prayer. There's probably no greater failure in most of our lives than the prayer failure. Uh, if I'm going to be honest with myself, that's probably the greatest failure in my life. I, I don't pray the way I should. I wish I prayed more. I wish I prayed better. Uh, and it is not surprising that we find that to be such a barrier in our life. One wise man said every failure in life is prayer failure. In other words, the reason we can't accomplish the things that God desires for us is because we're not praying the way that we ought to. And uh, while I certainly would not make that claim on anyone else's life, I'd say that's true for my life. Uh, my greatest failures are prayer failures. And so we need a little preaching on prayer. We probably need a lot of preaching on prayer, for to be honest. Luke chapter number 18, I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1. We'll read down to verse number 8. The Bible says, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge, which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, Yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear along with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you tonight. Thank you for letting us be in your house. Thank you for the good time of fellowship we've had. But help us, Lord, to not see these moments as throwaway moments. Lord, we've come here to do business with you. Lord, we have gathered back here to do something far more important than the food or the fellowship or any of the other things that we've done, though they are all noble and have their place. Lord, we've come tonight here from heaven. So I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. May this be a profitable time. And may you do a work in us that brings you glory. Lord, we love you. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I want you to notice again with me verse number one. It sets a framework for the entirety of this parable. It says that he spake a parable unto them to this end. I find that interesting. You know, the Bible doesn't always tell us so explicitly why the Lord told the parables that he told. Now, very often if we study it in its context and if we consider the response of the, the people that heard it, it's often not impossible or even difficult to deduce what the Lord was trying to accomplish. But isn't it interesting that the Holy Ghost goes out of his way to tell us exactly why the Lord told this parable. Could it be that the Lord wants to make sure that we don't miss this message because it is that important? Could it be that He wants us to have no ambiguity about the point He's driving home because not only the message is important, but the matter, the material of it is important. In other words, it is not just the parable that's important, but it's prayer itself. The Lord's giving emphasis to the value of prayer in our life. One man said that prayer is the great untapped resource of the Christian life. Uh, I heard of a man that stood at the uh, at the falls of, of uh, you know the uh, Niagara Falls and watched the the immense and awe-inspiring power of those waterfalls that was crashing down and someone turned and looked at him and and said surely this is the, the most powerful the greatest source of energy and power in the entire world. And the man turned and remarked and said, it almost is the only thing that has more power is the power of prayer. In your life and mine, when we don't pray, 
we are uh, relinquishing one of the greatest resources that we have at our disposal. And it is for this reason that the Lord emphasizes this need to pray. Now again, I don't know about you, I don't know about me, but I, or I don't know about you, but I do know about me. I need to be praying more. I, I need to not give up on prayer as quick as I give up on prayer. I need to pray more diligently. I need to pray more specifically and descriptively. If anything, you say, preacher, I don't know if I can pray the right way. Well, if you're not praying, you're definitely not praying the right way. Go ahead and pray. You say, preacher, I, I might ask for something. It might be the wrong thing. That's all right. God knows your heart. That's why the Bible says that the Holy Ghost with groanings and utterings when you could not be discerned maketh intercession for it. What does it say? When we know not what we ought to pray. There's all kinds of times in my life I don't know what I need. I know I need God. <laughs> but I don't know what I need. There's times I'll look at a situation and I'll say, Lord, I, I don't know what direction that I could go. And I just have to say, Lord, I need your mind. I need your will. I need your wisdom. And I don't know what to ask for. But I'm glad the Holy Ghost, He maketh that intercession. See, the truth is, we are all without excuse when it comes to the matter of prayer. Prayer is the most readily available resource to every believer. You don't have to be particularly talented. Uh, you don't have to be good looking like me. You don't have to be, you don't have to be smart like my wife. Uh, you, you just have to be saved and you can pray. You have to be saved. You have to be in communion with the Lord and you can pray and you can talk to the Lord. And so I would say this this afternoon. This message has bearing on every person in this room that's saved. Not a one of us can escape the gaze, the reach of this parable. For if you're like me, you ought always to pray and not to faint. Christ frames this parable with five important truths. I want you to notice them as a short introduction. And in so, he describes the burdens and blessings of prayer. Now, this is an interesting parable. It is a parable of contrast. And there's not very many of those in the Bible. Usually a parable is for the purpose of comparison to see the similarities. It will say the kingdom of heaven is like unto, right? Or a certain man had two sons and the intent is to apply those in the similarities. But this parable is different in that it is a parable of contrast. The Lord's going to show us some natural things that we see and then He's going to say, now compare those to how good of a God that you've got. So He he describes five important truths that, that frame the burdens and blessings of prayer in the life of the believer. Notice number one tonight. Look at verse number one. It says, He spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray. And this next phrase, He says, and not to faint. First thing He invokes is the idea of the discouragement of prayer. When the Lord talks about fainting here, He's not talking about it in a physiological sense. He's not saying faint in the sense of growing so weak or weary that we black out, that we lose uh, you know, consciousness. Instead, what He's saying is, you ought to keep praying and not give up. Now, here's what I want to say about that. There's a reason he has to say that. Because it's easy to give up on prayer. Uh, Paul said it this way in the book of Galatians, Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. You know why the Holy Ghost says that? Because it's easy to grow weary. You know why the Lord says we ought to pray and not faint? Because sometimes, and I love those moments, man, when prayer is sweet. I love those moments when prayer is easy. But if you're going to get serious with God, there's going to be times in your prayer life that it's not sweet, that it's not easy. There's going to be times it feels like wrestling a grizzly bear. There's going to be times it feels like trying to mop up the ocean. There's going to be times that it seems insurmountable to get a hold of God and to see God move and work. And then there's going to be times that you may feel like, my prayers are getting through, man. I'm hearing from God. God's hearing from me. But you don't see the change that you're praying for. See, here's the truth we all need to understand tonight. 
It's easy to get discouraged in prayer. It's easy to give up on prayer. You've probably had things in your life that you've been praying for and you can't even remember when or why you quit, but you no longer pray for it. Things that didn't get an answer, things that didn't get a resolution, things that God never told you no about, but you just somehow along the way, you know what happened? You ceased praying and you fainted in that effort. It's easy to grow discouraged in prayer. Not only that, look at verse number 2. He begins to tell this parable, and notice how it begins. There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. Now, the Lord is going to uh, apply this in contrast to our Heavenly Father's uh, care and, 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 and providence over our life. But when he describes prayer, here's what he describes it as. He describes it as two irreconcilable wills that somehow must be brought to accord. He says, there's a fella, and you need him, you need his help, but the problem is he don't fear God, and he don't regard man. We could say this, that this widow woman had as much uh, chance of changing this judge's mind as absolutely zero. <laughs> no chance whatsoever. She was going to have to find a way to change his mind that didn't involve invoking her position or her power or her prosperity because here's the truth. She didn't have none of those things. And she's dealing with a man that has no human reason to listen to her. You know what he's speaking of here? He's speaking of the difficulty of prayer. Prayer is very rarely a linear matter. Don't you listen carefully to what I'm about to say. Most of the things we pray for involve more than just us and God. We're praying for God to work in the life of a loved one. Lord, they're lost. They, they, they don't know they're lost. I want you to show them. Or Lord, they're lost and they know they're lost and they just don't care. They don't see that that's a problem. They don't see what danger they're in. And it's you and God dealing with this thing. But now, wait a minute. You're asking to bend the will of somebody that's not in that throne room, that's not in that prayer closet, that's no small thing. Let me also say there's times we're praying and we may not even be praying about something that deals directly to the matter of another person's will, but still our prayer sweeps in a thousand matters of goings on, of every day's, everybody's day-to-day life. We're saying, Lord, I need you to meet this need. And God could, for sure, drop manna from heaven and meet it, but He's probably going to use someone else to do it. He's probably going to use something else to do it. God can put a check in your mailbox and you don't have a clue where it comes from and it be signed by God's own signature, but most of the time He's going to use somebody else to do it. And I'm saying this, what a difficult thing it is when we pray. What a difficult thing it is that we're asking God to reach from glory and touch and change and manipulate and move the hearts and the actions of men. It's not a small thing. That's why it's easy to get discouraged. Have you ever quit praying for something because, and you might not would have admitted it, but in your heart you were thinking, God can't do this. Now, if you'd been given a questionnaire and they had said, can God do this? You'd say, well, God can do anything. But in your heart of hearts, in the darkest of nights, on the solitude of your pillow, you sit there and think, there's no way God can do this. Oftentimes when we're praying about things that matter, we are praying about things far more difficult than what we can handle. It was beyond this widow woman to do what needed to be done in the heart of this judge. She had no capacity. All she could do is come and make her desire known and then can keep coming and keep coming, keep petitioning, keep pleading with him. But we've already been told he doesn't regard God or man. 
So how was she ever going to accomplish this? Here's why it's easy to quit on prayer, because often the things we're praying for seem impossible. He speaks the difficulty of prayer. And then notice verse 3. He says there was a widow woman in that city, and she came unto him saying, forgive me my parking tickets. Is that what it says? No. Come on, go ahead and swallow that last piece of chicken. Amen me. Is that what it says? No. Did she say, uh, keep, keep the weather nice because I'm going on a picnic? No, she says this, avenge me of mine adversary. She's asking this judge to intervene in a conflict between her and another person. And I would go even a step further. By her language, and it's a parable, we understand that. But by her language, it would suggest that she had been wronged by this other individual. It was evidently very important to her that she have vengeance for what she experienced. I would say that one of the reasons prayer wears us out, the discouragement of it, it's easy to, to get discouraged. The difficulty, it's very difficult, but also because of the desire of prayer. She's not asking for a small thing. She's asking for something that's very meaningful to her. You ever been hurt and that hurt has swallowed your world? You've been hurt and it's all you can see, it's all you can feel, it's all you can experience, and it just swallows up your world. And then you go to the Lord and you're asking God to make that thing right. And to others, they might look at it and say, well, it's no big deal, just forgive them, just move on. But they don't understand the pain you're living in. And what you're vast for is something you desire more than anything else. This woman asked for a huge thing to her in her heart, in her mind. You know, one of the reasons that prayer, when we get serious about praying, we're praying about things that there are high stakes for. We're not praying for a small thing. I'm praying for my uh, youngest to, to get saved. My oldest has been saved. I'm, I'm praying for family members to get saved. I'm praying for uh, people to get right with God. I'm, I'm praying for God to protect people in our church and in our families. And, and none of these are small things. I'm saying this. Often when we pray, the desires we're praying for are large desires. They're not small things. They're not insignificant things. They're monumental things. And any time you pour your heart that much into something, it can oftentimes leave you feeling wrung out like a dish rag. I'd say because the desire of prayer. Notice what it says, verse number four, the very first phrase. It says, and he would not for a while. You know, one of the reasons prayer is hard is because the delay of prayer. <laughs> I wish, man, I, I do. I, I wish that every prayer we pray, God would immediately text us back and let us know what's going to happen. Wouldn't that be nice? Lord, please help me feel better. And then, and then get over it, quit whining. LOL from God. Wouldn't that be nice? I mean, if he just got back to us immediately. But, you know, here's the truth of the matter. Prayer has a lot more to do with changing us than it does changing anything else. I don't mean to say by that it doesn't change things. It does. It's the most powerful force in the world. Hey, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Prayer is meaningful. It, 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 it's, it, it is powerful. It is deliberate. It is literal. It is explicit. Prayer is a real thing, but I am saying prayer often has more to do with changing us than it does changing anything else. And because of that, very often, though, he could give the answer. He could give the reply. He could give the end product. He cannot shortcut the process. And the process is as important as the end product. Saying this, you ain't always going to get what you pray for immediately. In fact, if, you're, if your prayer life's like mine, you're rarely going to get what you pray for immediately. Most of the time. It's going to take time. And the reason why is because, remember, this woman ain't dealing with just her. If it was just her, it had been one thing, but she's dealing with this unjust judge, too. 
and His heart has to be bent and His heart has to be uh, molded and His heart has to be sub- subjugated. He, he, see, there was more going on than just hurt. And any time that happens, oftentimes that creates a delay in God's dealing in our life. I could I could preach a whole other message here. I won't. I'm just going to preach this one. But you could go to Daniel 10 and study it in your own time. And what you'd find is a season in Daniel's life when he prays and he asks God, to answer about a matter. And the Bible says 21 days pass and he gets no answer. And finally on that 21st day, uh, the angel uh, Michael comes and, and appears to him and, and tells him, says, from the day that thou prayed, thy prayer was heard. But he said, I've been in, uh, in uh, you know, the, the palace in, in Shushan and I've been contending there against the other uh, devils and demons and, and, and influences in the court there in Persia. And, in other words, Daniel, God heard your prayer. God even answered your prayer. But there's some big things God is doing and He's going to bring it all together at one time. And He comes back and He lets him know it's not that God didn't hear. It's that God's doing more than just one thing. God is the ultimate multitasker. His works are manifest. Now, manifest, not just manifest, they are, but they're manifold. Manifold meaning taking from one source and distributing to many other places. God's never just doing one thing at a time. And so often there'll be a delay. And that usually is when we think. We're willing to commit to pray once. And then if God doesn't answer very often, we just take our prayers and go home. Say, well, Lord, you didn't answer. You asked me to, to pray, but then you didn't grant it. You didn't answer it. And yet the Bible is abundantly clear that very often our prayer will take time for God to answer Not because God is confined or bound by time, but because we are. And there are many different wills and many different works being done in our life. I see the delay of prayer. It's one of the reasons we get get so weary that we faint. But then I like what it it says at the end of verse 4 and verse 5. I like how it ends. It says, but afterward, he said within himself, though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her lest by her continual coming, she weary me. We've talked about a lot of the burdens of prayer, but you know the great blessing of prayer? I see the deliverance of prayer here. You know why it's worth it to keep praying? Because prayer works. You're going to say, now preacher, that's elementary, that's simple. Then why do we have such a hard time with it? Why does my flesh have such a hard time with that? I know God answers prayer, and then how often? Do I give up before I've got a clear answer from God? I'm not talking about wrestling God to our will. There's times that God's will might be to say, no, you cannot have what you're asking for. No, I will not do what you're requesting. No, I will not change what you want changed. And we should be content with that answer when we get it. But I'm talking about just quitting because we just got tired. Quitting because we just we just were tired of praying and tired of doing. But we see from this very parable at the end of the day, who wins out? Whose will got done? It was the widow woman. It wasn't the judges. In fact, let me be a little more nuanced here. And I don't want to get in the weeds here. But you know how she got her prayer answered? By making her will his will. And by making his will her will. He says, I'm not doing it for God. I'm not doing it for him or for her. I'm not doing it for anybody else. But because I want to, I will answer this. I'm, I'm not going to get in the weeds here. We could get in some real abstract conversations about prayer. But you know the way to get your prayers answered? Pray for the will of God. You make His will your will, and all of a sudden, His will is unfordable. He has a desire to accomplish His will in our lives. So I I see the deliverance of prayer. Why do we not quit? Because prayer works. But now, the parable ends there, but the story does not. 
Christ then says this in verses 6, 7, and 8. The Lord said, hear what the unjust judge saith. So actually, the thing he wants us to notice here is not the widow woman's actions, although they are significant. The thing he wants us to notice is the conversation that the judge has with himself. He did not desire to do it, but because she continued to come unto him, and it was now in his interest, he answered. But the purpose in that is not for us to admire that judge. Look what he says in verse 7. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear along with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. So after framing this, after talking about why prayer is difficult, why we shouldn't give up on it, so on and so forth, the Lord gives three reasons that we should not faint. I want you to notice them with me. The first is found in verse 6. The Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith, and shall not God. This is a statement of comparison and contrast. He says, You see that this woman availed the will of an unjust judge but you're coming to a just God and asking for Him to answer. Let me tell you the first reason you shouldn't give up on prayer because there's no injustice in His decisions. He never does anything wrong. He's never done a single thing wrong. I've done multiple things wrong today. He never has done anything wrong. There's never a moment we come to God and ask Him to do something in our lives that He's going to make the wrong decision. When we give up on prayer, what we're really saying is this. I'm going to make the decision. My decision is to live with it, whatever it is. Or my decision is to take it in my own hands and change it to my own ability. But when we resolve to not give up on prayer, what we're saying is this. God's way is better than my way. And I'm willing to wait to have God's way in my life. When we do that, we find that the best possible outcome is what takes place. You know why? There's no injustice. He's never done anything wrong. He's not going to start now. There's no injustice in his decisions. You can trust him. He is a trustworthy God. He has a perfect track record throughout eternity past and since he's an eternal being throughout eternity future. It ain't just he ain't never done anything wrong. It's already been settled, proven, verified, and cataloged that he never will do anything wrong. He doesn't dwell inside time like we do. He's already finished and done it perfectly. Now, if we can't trust that kind of God, what kind of God do we think we could trust? And if we can't trust Him, why would we think we could trust us? I would say we need to keep praying because there's no injustice in His decisions. Number two, look at verse 7. He says, And shall not God avenge His own elect, which cry day and night unto Him, though He bear long with them? Now, that's an interesting phrase. Though He bear long with them. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you there is some application here to Israel as a nation. That's why he says he uses the term elect here. There's some contextual stuff going on. But I think what he says about Israel could be said about you and I in this church age as well, which is that often God does not answer immediately. Often there is a delay. But I like how it says bear with it. Now, when I tell people to bear with me, I'm telling them to wait, right? Please bear with me. But with that, I'm not asking them to give up on me. I'm asking them to just wait on me. God bears long with His people. You know what He's saying? He's saying, wait on me, 
but don't give up on me. Give me the time to do what needs to be done. He's not bearing long without them. He's not, he's not bearing long outside of them. He's bearing long with them. He's never away from us. And you know what it reminds me of? Here's God. And the usage of the word elect is significant. It denotes a choice people, a people that God loves, a people that God values, a people that are precious to Him. And what, what we could maybe say is this, is if we were to give just a, a layman's exposition of this verse, shall not God, who is a perfect God, avenge His own elect, the people He loves, the people that He's chosen, which cry day and night unto Him, though He bear long with them. He's not given up on them, and He's asking them not to give up on Him because He's accomplishing something in what He's doing. I would say it this way, there's no injustice in His decisions, but number two, there's no indifference in His delay. He's bearing along with them. He hears all their cries. He bottles up all their tears. And though there may be delay, it's not because He doesn't care. It's because He's got something He's doing. I promise you this, and we may not see it on this side of eternity, but if you'll continue to pray about that matter and not give up on it, one day when you get to glory, you're going to see why God couldn't have answered it a moment sooner. And you can see why you wouldn't have wanted Him to when you see all that He accomplished through this beautiful tapestry that He's weaving. But let me promise you this. As He's delaying, He's not delaying because He's indifferent, and He's not delaying because He's incompetent. He's delaying because He is deliberate and He is providential. He's not making you wait just to make you wait. He's making you wait because He's doing a great work. There's no indifference in His delay. And final one, and I'm done tonight. Look at verse 8. He says, I tell you that He will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall He find faith on the earth. Now, I don't want to get too deep into the context of it here and, and, and preach a whole other message focused on dispensationalism here, but he's talking about Israel and he's talking about the persecution of Israel uh, during the long period of time whenever the focus is on the church age and not on Israel and, and uh, probably even further beyond that to the persecution that Israel will experience during the tribulation. And he says this, he will avenge them speedily. He will come as soon as it, as is beneficial for them. But the question is, when he comes back, to take his vengeance on a world that has treated them cruelly, will he still find faith? Will he find people that are still praying and have not fainted? I want you to notice the first phrase there. Why does he not answer? Is it because he doesn't care? No, he cares. It's his own elect. He loves them. He bears along with them. You might say, well, preacher, maybe he won't answer because he just doesn't know what to do. Maybe he's not made his mind up. Well, verse 8 answers that. Not he might avenge them eventually. He will avenge them speedily. The word speedily is an interesting word. It's a little bit of a relative word, isn't it? There's certain things. If I ask my son to go get me a bottle of water out of the garage, speedily should be 15, 20 seconds, right? If I ask my doctor who's performing open heart surgery on me to do it speedily, it ain't going to be no 15, 20 seconds. In other words, there's a context that dictates the idea of speedily, but it's somewhat of an elastic term. You know what it means? As quick as possible. As quick as possible. You know when Christ is coming back? As quick as possible. You know when He's answering your prayer? As quick as possible. Everything He's doing, He's not doing it because He needs more time, because He's not inside of time. Which means everything He does, He does it as efficiently 
as it can be done. I'd say it this way. There's no, don't give up. There's no injustice in his dealings. He always makes the right decision. There's no indifference in his delay. It's not because he doesn't care. But I would say there's no indecision in his dealings. In other words, it's not because he doesn't know what to do. And it's not because he doesn't have a plan. And it's not because he hasn't already decided what to do. But it's because that plan is broader than what we can see. He already has not just a decision, the right decision made. We just have to be willing to what? Trust Him with it. It's interesting that this parable ends with this searching question. Nevertheless, word nevertheless means in spite of all these things and taking into consideration these things, nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall He find faith on the earth? He's saying this, God's not trying to decide whether He's committed to hearing your prayers. The question is not, will he continue to hear them? The question is, will you continue to pray? It's not, will he continue to listen? It's, will you continue to seek him? He's not given up on you, but have you given up on him? In our prayer life, it's easy to give up on the Lord. But Christ told this parable so that men would always pray. They ought always pray. What, ought to I, what should I do, preacher? What ought I to do? You ought to keep praying. Preacher, I don't know if God's ever going to answer. Well, until He answers, keep praying about it. If it's important to you, if it's precious to you, if you believe it's the will of God for you to pray about it, then keep praying and don't give up. And watch what God will do in that situation. Let's bow together this afternoon as a musician comes to play, the altar's open. If God has spoken to your heart, I want you to meet Him in this altar and pray. That's what I want. We can't get all the prayer done in this altar that needs to be done in our life. And I know that. But we can make a good start. If there's a matter God's dealt with us about, we can say, now Lord, I know I can't finish praying about it here, but I can start praying about it here. And I can ask you to work in this situation. Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in His name.